Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are flipping on our internal filters and giving ourselves ample time and space to consider our words and consider them wisely because our words matter. You've heard it before, there is life and death in your words. Research shows the average person speaks at least 7,000 words a day, with many speaking much more than that. The words you speak are your imprint on the world and dictate how people perceive you and largely define you. What are you saying? How many of those 7,000 words you spoke were encouraging? How many included gossip or judgment? How many were the same words you spoke yesterday? How many involved a smile? And how many were said through tears? Your words matter. The words you say to yourself out of your mouth or in your head. The words you use to describe yourself to people who you love and the ones you just meet. The words you use to fill a gap in your day or the ones you go out of your way to say. The words that shine a light on the good and the ones that reinforce the bad. When is the last time you thought about your words? When is the last time you questioned, contradict, or fought back against the words you heard when you were growing up that define you today? When is the last time you searched for new words to replace the old ones? At the Proctor Gallagher Institute, I found a story from Sally Gallagher to put things in perspective. I came across this story the other day and I wanted to share it with you. In the 1950s, Mary grew up knowing she was different from other kids, and she hated it. Because she had a cleft palate, she had learned to steel herself against the jokes and stares of children who teased her about her misshapen lip, crooked nose, and garbled speech. Mary was convinced that no one outside her family could ever love her. Until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard had a warm smile, a round face, and beautiful brown hair. All of the children liked Mrs. Leonard, but Mary grew to love her. In those days, teachers administered a hearing test in the classroom. Unfortunately, Mary not only had a speech impediment due to her cleft palate, but she was also partially deaf in one ear. Determined not to let the children have something else to tease her about, she thought of a way to cheat on the hearing test. She could pass the whisper test by covering her bad ear and turning her good ear towards the teacher. On the day of the dreaded hearing test, Mary was understandably nervous. When it was time for her whisper test, Mary clearly heard this come from Mrs. Leonard's mouth. I wish you were my little girl. Those seven small words changed Mary's life forever. That's because words are things. Perhaps a parent, teacher, or grandparent said something to you as a child that turned your life around and gave you hope that you could achieve a dream. If so, you'll never forget what they said. So let me ask you, what are you saying? If someone listened in on your conversations, would their lives be changed for the better or the worse? 
Would they hear you speaking about the character flaws of others as if they were physical defects? Or would they hear things that build others up? Stop for a moment to think about your last conversation. If it's true that words are things, would you want what you said to become true for you or for someone else you care about? If they were expressions of worry or anger or hurt or revenge or fear, how do you think they will come back to you? Do your words push others away from you or draw others near? Do you tear others down or help draw the best out of others? It's not always easy to catch what we say because we often speak without thinking. However, we can begin right now to watch and listen to ourselves. If you hear yourself expressing negativity of any sort, stop in mid-sentence. Either rephrase the sentence or just drop it. You could even say to it, no, or stop it. Imagine yourself at a magnificent buffet where instead of dishes of food, there are dishes of words. You get to choose any and all the words you wish to create not only for your future experiences, but also to shape others. Now, if you choose ones that will create problems and pain, that's rather foolish. It's like choosing food that always makes you ill. We may do this once or twice, but as soon as we learn which foods upset our bodies, we stay away from them. Well, it's the same with our thoughts. Let us stay away from thoughts and words that create problems and pain for ourselves and others. In her last appearance on Oprah's Masterclass, Dr. Maya Angelou explained her perspective on words and the tremendous power they contain. Words are things, I'm convinced, she said. You must be careful about the words you use or the words you allow to be used in your head. The idea of words being things, Dr. Angelo said, comes from the Bible. In the Old Testament, we're told in Genesis that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. This is why Dr. Angelo stressed the importance of being mindful when you speak. You must be careful. Care about calling people out of their names, using racial pejoratives and sexual pejoratives, and all that ignorance, she said. Don't do that. Words, she felt, have the power to seep into everything around you. I think they get on the walls, they get in your wallpaper, they get in your rugs and your upholstery and your clothes, and finally into you, she said. Mary's life changed the moment she heard Mrs. Leonard say, I wish you were my little girl. And the same can be true for all of us. It doesn't matter how long we've had a negative pattern, an illness, a poor relationship, or lack of money. The point of power is always in the present moment. No matter what we are going through, we're never stuck. When we accept this, our problem no longer needs to be the truth for us. It can now fade back into the nothingness from whence it came. The change takes place right here, right now, in our own minds. Solomon called these kinds of words apples of gold in settings of silver. They can erase years of pain and sorrow. They're filled with love and acceptance. They're priceless to those who hear them. Today, use your words to dispense apples of gold in settings of silver. Seek someone who's downcast and whisper a word of encouragement. 
you never know who needs to hear it. I wish you were my friend, or I believe in you. You can do it. I just love that idea, words of encouragement. How many times have you resisted the urge to talk to someone, pay them a compliment, ask them a question, or just say hi because you thought they were too busy and didn't want to be bothered? I'm here to tell you, don't let the distractions of the world keep you from making a connection. Human connection, eye contact, positive energy, and words of encouragement can never be replaced by text messages, Zoom meetings, or affirmation memes. Next time, act on the impulse and reach out. They may just be yearning for the same connection and a positive word to make their day just a little bit brighter. When we're left to talk and encourage ourselves, things don't always go to plan. At Health Direct, I found some important information about self-talk. What is self-talk? Self-talk is the way you talk to yourself or your inner voice. You might not be aware that you're doing it, but you almost certainly are. This inner voice combines conscious thoughts with inbuilt beliefs and biases to create an internal monologue throughout the day. Self-talk is important because it has a big impact on how you feel and what you do. It can be supportive and beneficial, motivating you, or it can be negative, undermining your confidence. Negative self-talk is when your inner voice is excessively negative, sounding more like an inner critic. It's pessimistic and focuses on the bad. It erodes your confidence and stops you from reaching your potential. It can make you feel like you're going to fail before you start. It can sound like, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm no good at this. I've tried everything and nothing works. Negative self-talk can be repetitive and often doesn't reflect reality. It can lead to rumination, which is repetitive with intrusive negative thoughts. Your self-talk can affect your mental health and your relationships with others. If you mainly think negative thoughts about yourself, you'll feel bad most of the time. This can drag you down, or if you're down, it can make it hard to get back up. Negative self-talk is often experienced by people who have depression or anxiety. The constant negative chatter can be overwhelming and difficult to break out of. Negative self-talk can make it more difficult to deal with chronic pain. It can also affect a person's sexual confidence and body image. It can lead to stress and a tendency towards perfectionism. Negative self-talk can become repetitive and overwhelming and often feels like it's true. To break out of that cycle, try some of these tips. Be aware of what you're saying to yourself. Just the act of stopping and recognizing negative thoughts for what they are is the first step to working through the problem. Ask yourself, would you talk like this to someone else? Challenge your thoughts. Ask yourself, is this true? Often it's not. Ask yourself if there's another explanation or way of looking at a situation. Remember that many things you worry about don't happen. Much negative self-talk is exaggerated. Put your thoughts into perspective. 
try to look at things from a different perspective, perhaps from a different person's perspective. Try writing your thoughts down or saying them out loud. Ask yourself, will this matter in a few years' time? Stop the thought. You can do this thought-stopping technique visually by imagining the thought being stopped or squashed or by having a little ritual. Replace the thought with a neutral and positive thought. Ask yourself, what is more helpful? It can take some time to recognize your negative thoughts. Remember, they've been a part of you for a very long time, and it can take up to three months to change old habits. Over time, though, you can replace the unhealthy negative thoughts with more positive ones. Practice makes perfect. If you mainly think positively about yourself, you'll feel good and optimistic most of the time. Research shows that positive self-talk can improve self-esteem, stress management, and well-being. Reduce any symptoms of depression, anxiety, and personality disorders. Improve your body image and can help treat people with eating disorders. Reduce your risk for self-harm and suicide. Make you feel more in control of your life. Help with chronic pain. Motivate you to overcome obstacles. Help you to calm down. Practice thinking good things about yourself. Very simply, Practice seeing half a glass as being half full rather than half empty. Identify your strengths as part of your self-talk and accept compliments for what you achieved. A helpful way to improve positive self-talk is to look, think, and act in a positive way. Surround yourself with positive and optimistic people. I have made a conscious decision to give myself a break. Seriously. I can't believe I bought a ticket and decades later I'm still on this guilt trip. Stop the bus. I am getting off. What's the point? Okay, I know I've talked about it before, but let me set the stage. I did used to work out, I promise. No, really, at one point I even managed a gym. I was also a ballroom and Latin American dance instructor who also competed. I promise I wasn't always a sloth. But for years, I have shamed myself on my lack of desire to exercise. Then I finally said, enough, I've had it. I can't love myself if I'm constantly belittling myself. Shortly after I gave up on the aspirations to join a gym or start some sort of running challenge, I discovered that the obstacle of being tethered to my desk for seven to eight hours a day was only a limitation because I saw it that way. I ordered a treadmill for my desk, which by the way was already an adjustable standing desk, and I started incorporating walking and working. I've reached my goal of 10,000 steps each day for three weeks straight. So give yourself a break and a chance to move in a different direction. Now I'm determined, I'm driven, and I'm thankful. How do you describe yourself? Susanna Smith shares how to describe yourself 180 words for your positive qualities found at alcation.com. During my work as a personal development trainer, I've helped many people answer the question of how to describe themselves positively. During that time, one thing that I've learned is that describing yourself accurately is something you have to put some effort into. This is especially true since being honest about our skills, qualities, and attributes 
can be confused with being arrogant or blowing your own horn. None of us would choose to come across as arrogant or boastful. But having a quiet confidence and respect for our positive characteristics is different. Most of us have never taken the time to reflect on our positive qualities, but it's so important to do so. There are many benefits to knowing the words that describe you personally, and one of the biggest is that it can give you self-awareness. Who wants to go through life without self-knowledge? If we can describe ourselves accurately, we acknowledge and appreciate our own positive qualities. You become your own confidence guru. Now that you're on board with the why it's helpful to know how to describe ourselves, we'll move on to the how. If you've ever been interviewed for a job, you know they'll ask this question. What would you say is your best quality? It can be an uncomfortable question to answer, especially since you're already nervous about the interview. What do they want to hear? The good news is that it's possible to be completely honest because we can all identify with 90% of these adjectives in some situation or another. So I suggest picking about 10 words that describe you most of the time, regardless of the situation. It might be helpful to think about who you are when you're on your own or doing your own thing. Very few people will identify the exact same combination of adjectives because we're all different. Once you've narrowed it down to 10 or so, think of situations in the past when you demonstrated each of those qualities. So here are some to get you going. Inventive, exciting, thoughtful, powerful, practical, proactive, productive, professional, meticulous, knowledgeable, diplomatic, logical, initiator, outgoing, consistent, compassionate, incredible, precise, emotional, cheerful, forgiving, industrious, cooperative, honest, assertive, broad-minded, committed, dynamic, Mature, methodical, tenacious, sociable, realistic, friendly, trustworthy, resourceful, eclectic, observant, innovative. During my experience delivering training programs and seminars about building confidence and self-esteem, I discovered that people get very quiet when they're asked to describe five of their best qualities. I don't know is the most common response. Conversely, we're all pretty good at listing our faults and failings. It's as if people don't dare to ask the question, what's good about me? If this describes you, then it's even more important for you to do this exercise. Words are powerful. If you come up with a list of your best traits, even if it feels awkward to do so, you'll start believing them. This new confidence will help you in your career and your personal life. 
What would you say if you were asked, what's your biggest weakness? Not sure? You might even wonder why employers even ask such weird questions. The objective of a question like this is to see how a person responds when they're thrown off base a little. It's also a way to force an applicant to reflect on how they've grown or want to grow. The key to answering this question successfully is to show that you've reflected on your personality and have identified ways to improve. So here's how to answer that question. What is your biggest weakness? Number one, first, come up with a few words that you can think describe your negative traits. For example, let's say a person was a bit controlling, shy, or maybe even rude. Number two, next, use these traits to provide insights into your best qualities. For example, a controlling person might have a hard time asking for help. Have you ever wished you'd accepted an offer of help from a friend or coworker? Are you aware of the benefits of not always being in charge? If so, you're looking for opportunities to let go and work with others for better results. Three, next, reframe your negative qualities. Rudeness can be easily reframed as bluntness or honesty, but you may sometimes feel that you can be a bit too honest. Describe a situation where you said something that may have been true but that you wish you'd kept to yourself. Then explain that you're working on making your feedback more constructive. Another example, there's nothing wrong with shyness, but you may feel that it holds you back from participating fully. Maybe there have been times when you wish you'd been a little more assertive. Explain that you're working on speaking up more and overcoming your fear of offending others. How many descriptive words can you come up with to describe yourself? Knowing how to describe yourself is very useful, especially on resumes, job applications, and when meeting new people. On top of that, many use dating websites and profile pages. They all have bios. In the online world, words are the main tools we have to make an impression. So using words to create a good online perception and make the most out of your online relationships is important. An added bonus to knowing how to describe our positive qualities is that it helps us combat all the negative talk that goes on in our heads, the voices that continually tell us that we're not doing the right thing. So how did you do identifying your positive qualities? Good, I hope. You may have undertaken this exercise because you wanted to fill out a new online profile or job application and you were struggling to come up with the words that describe you. In any case, here are some next steps to make the best use of the list that you made. Look over your list of adjectives. Say them out loud to yourselves with I am before each one. If you're interviewing for a job, look back at the job description and circle all the adjectives and phrases on your list that best relate to the position. Pick two or three words that relate to both you and to the job. Be prepared to give examples on specific times when you've demonstrated the adjectives that you've chosen. For example, if you tell the interviewer that you're reliable, Describe projects you've completed on a deadline or times when an employer or teacher have commented on the fact that they can count on you. Tell a short, vivid story about a time when you demonstrated that quality. 
If you're applying to a school or a university, read over the school's website and look for cues about the kind of student they're looking for. All schools want students that are hardworking, inquisitive, and persistent. Show them your unique qualities. Are you particularly creative and imaginative? Are you exceptionally focused and determined? Do you have a big heart for social justice? This is time to toot your own horn. Oftentimes, you'll be asked to describe yourself with one word. Sometimes they'll ask for three. It's smart to brainstorm ahead of time and have a list of one or three words planned out. Choose the words for which you have the best examples and stories. Yes, you should have a script plan for this inevitable question. Don't be caught off guard. So here are some that you might want to add. Perceptive. Down to earth. Open-minded. Analytical. Quick learner. Genuine. Rebellious. Inventive. Warm. Generous. Insightful. Even the most confident person has a hard time with the question, tell us about your strengths. Most people don't want to brag or seem cocky, but it's so important to identify with what you value about yourself. And if you're stumped, well, then it's even more important to dig a little bit deeper here. Maybe ask a trusted friend, not someone who will just go on puffing you up, but one who is really going to describe to you what they value in you. It could be really eye-opening and things you didn't even fully appreciate about yourself before. If you want to go a step further and you trust the person's kindness and honesty, ask them to describe some of your weaknesses. Let them know that you're on a journey and are taking a personal inventory to start becoming aware of these traits and to start working on them. Now, don't laugh, but since kindergarten, I've been told I talk too much. I know, I know. I used to just strike it up to being a Gabby girl, and that's just the way it is. But as I've gotten older and hopefully a little wiser, I take feedback like that a little more seriously. I try and hold back in a group and let others talk. Instead of exercising my ability to talk, which of course over the years is in peak condition, I try and exercise my ability to listen. Robin Sherma is a Canadian writer best known for his The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari book series. Sharma has worked as a litigation lawyer until age 25 when he self-published Mega Living, a book on stress management and spirituality. So let's take a listen to Why Your Words Matter by Robin Sharma. This mastery session is all about why the words you use matter. And one of the things I observe is simply this. A lot of people are very careless with their language. And so, you know, there's a huge shift. You can either be a victim or you can be a leader, but you can't be both. And if you look at someone who is a victim, a lot of their victimhood comes down to the words they use. I mean, the words you use either lift up your energy, the words you use either make you more creative, the words you use either allow you to do world-class things, or the words you use deny your talents. The words you use could reduce your energy. The words you use could hurt your leadership. 
So you have a choice every day at work and at home and out on the streets with strangers. You can develop a victim vocabulary or the language of leadership. And in this mastery session, I want to walk you through some of my insights on those. Well, words are powerful. I mean, words have destroyed nations. I mean, think about the great dictators. Their words of hatred, their words of toxicity, their words of breakdown cause the people around them to do sometimes incredibly terrifying acts. And then you look at people like a Nelson Mandela or a Martin Luther King Jr. or a Mother Teresa. You look at the great business builders. You look at humanitarians. You look at a lot of the great artists and they were so careful with their words and their words lifted people up. And that's really what great leaders do. They use the language of leadership. You look at a victim and they say things like, this is a problem. I, I've got a problem right here. Or I'm really scared about this. Or I hate that client. Or I hate this work. Or I'm sick of this day. Or I'm exhausted. Or I don't like that. Or she never likes me. It's literally the language of toxicity. And the words you use really are like a context or a framework or a stained glass window on the way you see the world. I mean, here's a game-changing insight. You see the world not as it is. You see the world as you are. You see the world through a lens and your language forms that lens of belief. I mean, your lens of belief and your personal filter on reality is not really a true filter on reality. It's just the filter on reality that has formed as a result of all the words you've picked up from the moment you were born. So when you were a little baby, your mom and your dad used the language that they were taught when they were kids to use. And if they use the language of victimitis and if they use the language of victimhood, like, well, you know, you can't do this, I hate this, I'm tired of this, money doesn't grow on trees, be ordinary, if you're successful, you'll be hated. All that messaging that we pick up from our parents and the media and the world around us and our peers, the little kids that we used to play with in the playground or the friends that we had as teenagers, that will either lift us up or tear us down. So I guess what I'm trying to say, and hopefully I'm making the point clearly for you, but we see the world through this personal filter and a lot of this personal filter that drives our performance and our behavior is really constructed from the words that we've picked up and then the words we are taught to use. And so the right angle turn for you to create exponential energy, mindset, productivity, creativity, results in the world, results in your life, comes down to, in part, a really intelligent use of your words. And like I said at the beginning of this mastery session, most people are really unconscious about their words. And that's why most people are not getting rare air results. So what are some of the words I encourage you to shift from? Well, don't talk about what you hate to do, talk about what you love to do. Don't talk about problems, talk about opportunities. Don't talk about what makes you tired, talk about what makes you inspired. Don't talk about your past, talk about your future. Don't talk about what broke you, your heart, talk about what opened your heart. Don't talk about what dispirits you, talk about what you are fueled by. Don't talk about the things within your life that are not working. Talk about the things in your life that are working. Don't talk about 
your pain, talk about your pleasure. And you know, if I, if I were sitting with you right now coaching you, I mean, I am coaching you, and what I would encourage you to do as soon as I finish this mastery session is pull out your journal. And if you're not journaling, please start journaling because journaling is a ritual you want to install into your days. Joan Didion said this, I don't know what I think until I write it down. Think about that. I don't know what I think until I write it down. And so in your journal after this mastery session, pull out a fresh page and draw a line down the center of the page and write about the language of victimhood and the language of leadership. And start to write down all the words you use and the sentences you employ that really are speaking, that are really victim speak. And then in the other column, I want you to start writing down the language of leadership. The language that as of today, you will be committed to using so that you start to use the language of someone who's world class. And I've given you some examples, but doing that exercise will make it really clear. And as you know, clarity breeds mastery. Bottom line is this, you are built to be a leader. You are not constructed to be a victim. And once you get your words right, you are going to start noticing daily shifts in your energy, your focus, your momentum, your confidence, and your output. And when you start getting those words right, you start lifting your professional life, your personal life to a whole new level of wow. And guess what? That is what you are meant to do. We've been talking about choose wisely. Your words matter. Have you ever really thought about it that way? How many words do you speak in a day? Average is 7,000. I'm pretty sure I'm way over that. Especially if you speak for a living or you're in sales or customer support or customer service. You're talking all the time. How many times are you capitalizing on that opportunity to speak life, to speak encouragement? to turn some water cooler discussion in a more positive direction. You know, we hear so much negativity in the media, and then what do we talk about? We just rehash it, the same thing over and over and over again. So how can we reframe that and turn it to the positive? What about your own limitations? How many times have you told yourself, I can't, I'm not good at that? Nobody wants me for that. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat some worms, right? Where did that come from? But what are you telling yourself? How are you pushing yourself out of that comfort zone? Are you saying to yourself, no, that's not how I feel about myself. I don't know why I've carried that identity around for all of these years. I'm new. I'm strong. I'm capable. I'm worthy. Over at carolcook.com, I found five reasons for pushing beyond your limits. I think it's the best way to wrap up this episode by reminding you of your power to change your circumstances. Our lives are not determined by what happens to us, but how we react to what happens to us. Life should be about pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone and grabbing new opportunities that you might have otherwise missed. Push yourself beyond what you or anyone else thinks you're capable of and believe. So here are five reasons that pushing yourself beyond your limits is important. It helps you learn and acquire new skill sets. 
These skill sets can relate to different areas of your life. They could be people skills or social skills, life skills, or any skills relating to a specific task, which are known as hard skills. Pushing beyond your perceived capabilities helps us learn. It gives us valuable experience, which is needed to overcome obstacles in our path. Pushing beyond your limits helps improve your self-worth. It will help you understand that you can get through tough situations. It will also give you the ability and strength to try new things and to realize that failure is only a stepping stone towards success. It will force you to explore new opportunities and challenges. If you don't push beyond your limits, you will always stay within your comfort zone and never improve or learn new things. The key difference between a boring, unsatisfying life and one of excitement, success, and growth is how willing you are to escape your comfort zone. Pushing past your comfort zone helps with success. Remember, failure is just a stepping stone to success. You will find out what works and what doesn't. As Steve Bloom says, the only thing stopping you from reaching your goals and dreams are your limits. Go beyond your perceived limits. This can open up new doors for you and help you become mentally stronger. Unfortunately, most of us have limiting beliefs which influence our performance. By pushing beyond those limits, we can influence our choices and actions, enabling us to grow and evolve. Adopting a mindset that says we can surpass the limits we've set for ourselves will help us improve. Are you willing to escape your comfort zone, that place where you are content to be? If you can push beyond the contentment and strive for something more, you will eventually feel the excitement and success of growth. This will ultimately take you to a completely new dimension, one you didn't even know existed. Arthur Clarke said, The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take the time to consider your words. Where are your 7,000 going? When you notice a negative turn, either internally, in a mixed company, or directed towards someone else, remember that only you can course correct and get back on track. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's rule until the path was clear. That's when I found you.